Welcome to the Innocent Classroom Podcast. My name is Ade B.C. Wilson. I am Vice President at Innocent Technologies, as well as your host. Today, our guest is Dr. Matthew Brandt, Vice President at Innocent Technologies. Dr. Brandt has been with Innocent Technologies for four years, but connected to Innocent Classroom for over a decade. The focus of today's discussion with him is the transformational power of good. Before we hear from Dr. Brandt, I want to share with you our newest offering, the Innocent Classroom Notebook. The Innocent Classroom Notebook is a series of classroom questions, strategies, and affirmations delivered twice weekly directly to your inbox. The Innocent Classroom Notebook is designed to help educators build meaningful connections with the children they teach, especially children of color. All strategies come from teachers in the Innocent Classroom community. For only $10 per year, you receive over 80 classroom questions, strategies, and affirmations. Educators who have participated in constructing the Innocent Classroom will affirm their practice and discover new strategies, while educators new to our community will find fresh new ways to connect with each child. This is open to anyone, so please share it with your friends and colleagues. To learn more, visit innocentclassroom.com notebook. Now let's hear from Dr. Brandt. Welcome to the Innocent Classroom Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Matthew Brandt. He is Vice President at Innocent Technologies. Welcome, Dr. Brandt. Um, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. It's great to have you here. I'm really excited for this. Um, I'm lucky enough to get to work with Dr. Brandt on a regular basis. Um, He has taught me a lot about Innocent Classroom. And so I'm really thrilled to have him here today. Dr. Brandt, could you tell the Innocent Classroom community, a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, so I I actually have been part of the Innocent Class. I'm going on 11 years now in terms of being involved in some way, shape, or form with Alex Pate and the Innocent Classroom. I was at the uh, one of the very, I think it was probably the very first meeting where Alex um, was talking to a group of educators and challenges to think differently about what teachers needed uh, to support children. Um, Innocent Classroom was, at that point, Alex was working primarily on his own innocence. Those of you who know Alex's story know that that was a project that he was working on personally, um, and he had begun to think about it more broadly. How does it affect, if this is as hard as this is for me, how does this affect children? Um, And so I was fortunate enough, like I said, now more than a decade ago to be part of that original conversation. Um, And then from there, um, we were able to keep talking for five years and eventually launch uh, constructing the Innocent Classroom six years ago now in Omaha, Nebraska. So I was, I've been, I had a career before this, um, and I four years ago now, almost exactly four years ago, Alex invited me to come over to leave to take a chance and join him full time to see if we could make Innocent Classroom something that could exist in not just Omaha, Nebraska, not just the Twin Cities and Minneapolis and St. Paul, but to really make a strong contribution in the lives of teachers and, and the children that, that they serve every day. So that was now, I can't believe it's four years. I mean, yeah. it's four years May 1st, um, and we're almost there. So time goes really fast. There was one thing that you had to share with, with our community about Innocent Classroom. What would you think that the most important concept is to share with our Innocent Classroom community? I, so, I mean, I think it's our concept of good, actually. And um, although we, 
I'm going to answer it slightly differently than what we rehearsed on when we were prepping <laughs> for this. So I hope that's okay. But it's when, all good. Um, when you asked that question, I actually thought it was the thing that really sealed this for me actually happened two years before I actually almost three years before I joined Alex. And it was the response that educators gave to the program. This, this feeling like we were finally, this program maybe finally was giving language to thoughts that they've had for a long time. Mm -hmm. And to see that response of a class, you know, a room of 80 to hundred, I think there were 120 teachers at one of the first workshops we did and to see their response to these concepts. Um, and especially to our concept of good. I mean, I do think that is, that is real. It's unique to the innocent classroom. It doesn't exist in other, other, if you will, similar type programs, even relationship building programs. Um, so yeah, I think that the, among the things that Innocent Classroom does is force a conversation about how is your relationship with a child and really yeah. seeing that relationship is critical. But it's a particular type, good puts a particular focus on that relationship, which I think makes it feel achievable rather than impossible. Mm-hmm. First of all, I think what is good <laughs> and why does yeah. it matter? I, I mean, so good for those, and I know a lot of people on this podcast could probably recite this verbatim, but good is the thing for which all of the things are done. It's the reason you do everything that you do. It's the reason, you know, sometimes it's the reason if you bought a house, it's why you bought a house. If you rent an apartment, it's why you rent an apartment. If you drive a Ford, it's why you drive a Ford. If you drive a Civic, it's why you drive a Civic. Like it's that fundamental. It really is. The, it motivates every behavior, every choice, uh, decision to, to get married, to not get married. That all generates from your good. Um, so it is truly, I mean, it, the technical definition, but I think what it, what it is for me or what it's become over time is it, it's a way to talk about um, who we are as human beings. Um, and it, it, if I can find your good, your desire to be connected or safe or cared for, I've in the way that you want to be safe or connected or cared for, right? Like this is, we have goods. We have a list of goods. People have been through, have seen our list of goods. But every good is ex- just like everyone experiences their good in the way they experience their good. Right. So I think there's some... Um, the, the specificity of good in our world, I think it's something that most people move through life um, as part of big groups. Um, and so, but, but we don't relate to each other as part of big groups. We relate to each other as individuals and those people who touch us and who we want to be in relationship with, we're in relationship with them because you know me. Right. Not you know Matt's. Like, there's right. nobody I want to be in a relationship who knows, well, Matt's need this. We say it all the time. Right. Like, this is what kids of color need. This is what indigenous children need. But I want you to know me. And I think good fundamentally allows teachers to have that sort of conversation mm-hmm. and it gives them rather than just saying you need to touch the humanity of the child in front of you okay you can say that but it's not very helpful right because there's right. no how, how do you there, do that right? there's no how there right and so good is the how yeah so one of the things that you mentioned to me during while we were prepping it was that people are really sophisticated at building barriers what did you mean by that, and what does that have to do with good? Um, yeah, we were talking about the why. Why I think good is such a important and significant tool, um, and I think this is it's part of growing up American. Part of growing up is that we've become. We see people. I mean, we categorize people all the time. We categorize people by their race, their their ethnicity, the language they speak, the neighborhood they live in, their income bracket, um, their background, and. Um, and I think it's a really sophistic it's a really sophisticated way of of maintaining barriers. Mm-hmm. And I think we've come to accept too readily that that our differences actually define us more than our similarities. And I and I don't mean similarities in a really trite way. I mean I think there's a way there's a um, you know before 
predates innocent classroom and all that. I, I, you know, my graduate degrees and all of all things in religious studies and people all the time would say, you know, religions that you boil them all down, they're pretty much the same. And that's just not true. It doesn't appreciate the, the sophisticated, the, if you will, the sophistication to the way people have structured their religious life. So I'm not talking about, Oh, like we're all the same inside. Um, but I am talking about, we are all human beings. We all share, a, we have a shared, in that sense, we have a shared humanity. And so how do you help people see that all these things, the, all these things that we've constructed, all these barriers we've constructed about my inability to see you, relate to you, understand you, or, but I guess fundamentally relate to you. I mean, I think that's really what it comes down to. Um, these are all constructions. These are all things that we've put in place. These are all things that don't actually exist. Um, but how do you say that in a way which helps people? Like you can say that, and we talk about it all the time, social construction of race, construction of gender, all these things we talk about. But, but now what? Like now right. that I know that it's constructed, the construction's powerful. Right. Like it exists, it's existed for hundreds of years, These many of these constructions have, if not thousands of years. And I, so I think good, like through the lens of good or through the, the um, one thing, you know, this, this, what is, what does Matt mean by the transformational power right. of good yeah. is it gives us a real human way to begin to build relationships with each other in a way, you know, we were talking earlier about how, you know, we have this list of goods and if people have been through constructing a classroom or one of our other programs, you know, this list, you probably know it really well, but you also know that how I experience my desire to be connected is not how you experience your desire to be connected. Right. right? It's knowing me that well on that level um, so that you can begin to relate to me. Um, and that that's what I think. And I think if you look at our classrooms, any public space, I mean, I, teachers are yearning for a really positive relationship with their children. They mm -hmm. are. That's what they want. You don't get up and worry. You don't get up every morning and drag yourself into school thinking, I can't wait to be out of relationship to these kids. That's right. Um, and kids that doesn't happen. And kids also don't wake up and think, how can I mess with my teachers today? They don't. They wake up and they show up. And I think that every child shows up hopeful. Um, teachers show up hopeful, but we've we've allowed our society to construct these walls. Mm -hmm. um, you know, our if you stay with innocent classroom, you layer guilt into all this and the power of stereotypes. Now you have a real problem, right? Now you have how do I overcome not only constructed realities, but this reality of guilt that some constructed realities have to deal with. Right. Um, and and it just seems overwhelming. It, and you, if you lay this out, I felt when we've originally, Alex and I were talking this through, it's like, it's, how do you overcome this? This, all these things that society does to us. And I've, from the first session through today, what good does this, the, it seems really simple. And in some respects it is, but it's a simple uh, antidote, if you will, or treatment. Mm -hmm. To how can I build relationships where I want, where no one expects me to be able to build a relationship, and to say to teachers, you need to be in relationship to your children without any tool is just unfair. Actually, so, and in some respects, it becomes meaningless for an educator. Mm -hmm. um, I think good in the innocent classroom is a way to help teachers, gives them something to focus on, gives them something to prioritize in that relationship, and that opens up the possibilities that I could even get to know this child, because right. um, we are so different in interests, in background. And in language, what, how can I, what, what do I have to build with this child? Yeah. But I've got a good, this child's got a good, let's start there. Yeah, absolutely. So how have you seen this play out? Like what, how have you seen, you know, you talk about the transformational power of good. How have you seen that show up in, with educators? Uh, educators. Yeah. Are there all these stories that, that. I've been fortunate enough to hear teachers tell us and educators tell us, and there's a couple that have stuck with me over time. I mean, one of, and one of my favorite stories is about a middle school child who 
um, who came to class chronically late and would announce his presence in a in a fairly dis- disruptive or his arrival I should say in a fairly disruptive fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, I'm here or whatever middle you know I mean middle whatever however middle school child does this. He was a wasn't a problematic kid necessarily, but this was a problem, and it was fairly disruptive to the teacher's ability to get through her lesson what she was trying to teach on that particular day. And so. Um, this particular educator was at the point of observation in the innocent classroom. So really stop, study the child's behavior. Why is he doing what he's doing? It might be driving, it's driving me crazy, but I have to, but he's communicating through that. He's trying to tell me what his good is. Um, teacher had made a guess at his good. That wasn't actually close enough to make an accurate or what she felt like was an accurate, but felt like it's somewhere in scene or validated. Um, and so she decided to um, take him aside after class, ask him to stay after class one day, um, and again, remember this child had been coming to late to class consistently, like was never on time and then was voice boisterous when he arrived. And this wasn't the first time this child had probably done that. And he's ready to get referred, right? It's time mm-hmm. for me to go talk to the Dean, the assistant principal. And she said to him, I love the way you come into class, your excitement, your enthusiasm to be here. But it's when you come to class late and do that, it interrupts the work that we need to get done. Mm-hmm. So she asked him to come to class on time and enter exactly the same way that he was entering with it, his enthusiasm to be there, his excitement, announcing his presence so they could get to work on time. And the child did that surprising. I think surprised the teacher, right? Mm-hmm. She wasn't expecting this. Like in a classroom, so many this. All right, I'll try it. Yeah. Um, but he did start coming to class on time. And then she continued. And as she told her story, um, what she wasn't, ex- she was just trying to get the child there on time. Right. I mean, that was her goal, right? Can I get you here on time? almost so I can teach your peers. But um, so the child comes, starts coming to class on time, but he also changed his behavior in the class itself. He was one of those kids who, not real disruptive, but you know, he talked to his buddy, he talked to that buddy when she was trying to teach. Uh, and that behavior also got a lot less and she wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an example of, wow, you took the time, you gave me what I needed, which was to be seen or validated. I don't even know what this, I don't really know what the final good was for right. this child. Um, but that strategy, that engagement that you felt like, wow, you, okay, I can do that. Um, so that's a powerful story that I think shows the, the sim- in some respect, the simplicity of, of good too, right? Yeah. Like she didn't have to go and learn all about, I mean, it, it's not going to hurt if you know about his family and his culture, but all she had to do was watch this behavior yeah. and begin to understand that, that behavior and then, and then strategize around it with an idea of what his good is. Yeah. And I bet he was surprised, too. I mean, I know we don't really hear the story necessarily from the perspective of the child, but he was probably, like, surprised and then, like, let me try this and see if it actually works. Right. right. Well, <laughs> and, and maybe he's just, like, for a minute, like, he's probably, expe- like, right, we know what he might be expecting. And he gets this. Yeah. He's, like, completely disarmed. He has he has no option but to say yes. Right. Right? Because he's, like, this, okay. Because what else <laughs> can you say at that point? Yeah. Yeah. It's just interesting how those little things can relax a kid and help them, you know, feel more comfortable in your space because it's not all about the work. You actually see me, but we also know that the work is priority right. number right. one. A group of educators here in the Twin Cities were going through uh, and they had been through constructing and they came back together to to continue the conversation. And there was one particular child this teacher was struggling with mightily to build a relationship with. It was kind of a I don't know the exact class. It was like a credit recovery class. It's a high school class where. Um, you know, this, you have to get back on the track to graduation mm-hmm. and this particular good kid sounds like they had a pretty decent relationship overall. Um, but the child just was failing and, you know, failing is not good. Failing means you're not going to graduate on time. And so she was very concerned. It was late in the year. Um, 
actually this was a year ago. It was late in the year. So we're talking this time of year, April, May. And mm-hmm. she's like, look at me. He's like, I got to get him there um, so he can get credits and continue on his path to graduation. And with, and so what we learned through that, through the conversation with her was that she was always relating to this child as his English teacher. And she'd give him poems. She'd yeah. do all these things. like and But everything was, if you will, through the lens of, uh, my I'm teacher, your student. And so what, what it was actually Alex was there having this conversation. He challenged her, like, don't relate to him. Stop relating to him as his teacher. Like, I get, I get why you're doing everything that you're doing. Just relate to him. What's he interested in? It turns out he likes to remake engines. Um, and, she's, and, and Alex said, just bring him, like, cut out stuff from, go to the store, buy a magazine about cars, and just cut out pictures of remade engines or recycled engines or whatever, and just start leaving them on his desk. And honestly, this teacher looked up and like, that is crazy. Like, we have, uh, that has nothing to do, like, what, he'd think I'm crazy to leave him engines mm-hmm. on it. And he's like, I'm just telling you to try it. Just see what happens. It's going to open him up a little bit. It's unexpected. Um, so sure enough, she she actually emailed us after she did that. She agreed to try it. She did it. Um, she did it for a couple days, maybe a week. And then finally, the child comes up and says, what have you, like, okay, what is going on with these pictures of engines on my, like, I do like to do that, but what's up with you? And she made up some story about, you know, she was somewhere and she saw this magazine and she just, she thought of me and thought maybe, I don't know, here's some, he started doing his work. Mm-hmm. He passed the wow. class. Um, and so I think, I mean, I do, some of the stuff we ask teachers to do is so simple. It seems crazy. Um, but that touched, I don't know what that child's good was. We never got there. But the fact of the matter is it says like, I'm going to, I'm going to relate to you, to you. That's right. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's a, I'm yeah. amazed at how often that strategy works. It's interesting, though, too. I mean, the two approaches that you described with the middle school student versus the high school student were very different. Like, how you relate to them is very different. For the middle school student, the focus was, okay, I'm observing him. I'm seeing what kind of makes him happy, makes him tick. I'm just going to bring that to life in the classroom. And then with the high school student, just because it might, I mean, this might work for a middle school student too, but it was like, you know, I see that this is kind of a one-on-one thing. So I'm going to relate to him, you know, just one-on-one based on what I am seeing is make, makes him tick. And that's what this work is all about. That's how you find good is by relating to a student specifically on what makes them tick, what their focus is on. And so I think it's really interesting that you can have so many different approaches based on who that individual is, rather than what you're saying we often do in our society, which is categorize all the mats into one category, or all the ADBCs into one category, or all the black kids, the Asian kids, the white kids, the Hispanic kids. But really, how you get to good and how you respond to good is individualized, because we're all unique. We all have our own epistemologies, our own configurations of guilt, and our own individual goods, and we have to see that in each other in order to see each other's humanity. Yeah, I can't, I can't improve on that. Um, yeah, this was awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share with our Innocent Classroom community about Innocent Classroom, good, transformational power of good, anything at all that you want to leave us with? I think be brave enough to talk about what you're doing with children. I mean, I do... I think we do talk about innocent classroom and early on we say, you know, keep it quiet. Yeah, that's all true. But the work that you're doing is, is, is transformational. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's this, the community, this is going to go out to, it is, it is very rewarding to think that this thing is, 
becoming a community and that teachers around this country are now supporting each other in this work and listening to each other through these podcasts. I just happen to be here today. Um, But I do think there's, don't be shy. I think the time for being shy about the work you're about is coming to a close. I think the, the, you've convinced me and I want to say the community's convinced me that not only is this powerful, it's necessary if we're going to treat people the way we want to be treated and help each child be be who they actually are. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brandt. I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you um, and appreciate you taking the time out of your very busy schedule to talk to our innocent classroom community. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for joining us for the Innocent Classroom Podcast, where we free children to achieve. If you have any thoughts, comments, or feedback, please contact me at adebc at innocenttech.com. That's A-D-E-B-I-S-I at innocenttech.com. Follow Innocent Classroom on Facebook and Twitter, and follow Innocent Technologies on LinkedIn. To learn more about Innocent Classroom, visit us at innocentclassroom.com.